Welcome to the Design Your Happiness podcast. I'm your host, Marilee Blair. Let me be your positive light to help you reach your highest potential and put you in an empowered frame of mind every episode. It's time to get excited for our lives and be in charge of designing our happiness every single day. Let's go. Welcome back to the Design Your Happiness podcast. I'm excited to have a special guest on the show today who's going to educate us more about his experience in real estate fundamentals and finance. Uber Bungalin is the director of capital markets of StackSource and has nine years of experience in commercial and residential real estate finance. He has sourced $700 million in debt and equity financing for land, construction, bridge, and permanent deals in all product types. Huber has a double bachelor's in business economics and international studies from UC Irvine, where he graduated cum laude. He then earned a double master's MBA and MRED with program distinctions from University of Southern California. Huber also enjoys writing about real estate trending topics and education to share his high-level advice on how to get money for any real estate deals. Huber, thank you so much for being on the show today and welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be here, just tell my story and hopefully your viewers, your listeners can get some type of value add out of it. So thank you for having me. And let's start the show with your favorite inspiring quote. Uh, my favorite quote is actually by, funny enough, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, interesting. And the quote goes, in life, all men are sculptors. We're constantly chipping away at pieces of ourselves in hopes to create a masterpiece. Oh, I love that. I love that. Maybe it came from him, yes. right? But when I heard it, I'm like, it just stuck with me. It yeah. just stuck with me. That we're in charge, that we can change our masterpiece. We can make it an amazing masterpiece, whatever we want, that we can create it. You're the sculptor of your own artwork. And that really ties into my next question. So how have you designed happiness into your life? So it's hard, right? Because happiness to me is a more relative term. It really depends and changes in your experience. Like what made me happy when I was younger doesn't make me happy now, vice mm-hmm. versa, right? So for me, designing my happiness and honesty recently, it was mm-hmm. through a career coach, right? She's and life coach, career coach, but she's really been able to help me because before when I was younger, what made me happy, honestly, was setting goals mm-hmm. and accomplishing those goals, right? Having a vision. And the type of person I'm at, I am, is very vision oriented. If I have that vision, it's like, limitless energy. I will go for it. I will try to find ways, even if there's blockades, even if there's roadblocks, twist turns Mm -hmm. in life, I'm going to go for it. Uh, But what happens when you lose that vision? What happens when you can't find it? You try to create it, right? You get into a dark place and you're like, I don't know what's up, what's down, where to go. So recently, and this is, um, I think uh, for me, 2019 was a tough year because that's when I lost it. I'm like, I don't even know Mm -hmm. anymore. And she really helped me get it back on track to reorient where my happiness lies, starting there with the fundamentals, what are my values, what are my virtues? And then from there, it's like, how does that align with who I am as a person, right? And then figuring out the goal so that we can get back on track, recreate that vision. And then again, once that vision's clear in my head, then I'm happy, very yes. happy, because I'm just going for things. I'm just going for it and trying my best to uh, live out what God has intended for me and try to find something. That's amazing that you did that. It, and how did you know to hire a career coach? Had you been doing like a lot of research to think that that could no. be someone that could help you though, to help you with your happiness and your overall goals? Yeah, I wish I can say that I, I that there was a plan and like, oh shoot, now I need a career coach. But mm-hmm. 
really it's hard especially for someone that's like a type a accomplished like goal-oriented personality it's hard to admit that you need help Mm. right it's super hard because especially like you mentioned i appreciate that mentioning like the accolades and education right having all of that you kind of put yourself into this uh this pedestal of like oh i need i should know the answer Mm. right i'm so educated i can figure Mm -hmm. this out i'm a smart guy and i can figure out the answer i can recreate and what's the problem as long as i just read enough books or watch enough YouTube videos and research, 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 and then becomes like an analysis by paralysis, Mm. right? Or excuse me, paralysis by analysis. You're just Mm -hmm. constantly analyzing, trying to figure it out, thinking that you're smart enough. And then you just go deeper and deeper and deeper Mm. and deeper until you're like, again, I don't know what's up or down anymore Mm. and you can't figure it out. So for me, it wasn't like one day I decided, okay, to now I'm going to get a a career coach to help Mm. me get back on track. It was the help of like, my tribe and I forget who was it that mentions that but really it's the tribe that saw me saw where I was this isn't the Huber that we know Mm. this is a different different person you know like what's going on and it was through the help of mentors where they said you know try a career coach I'm like career coach like I've never gets a career coach I don't even know why she's like well when you're in when you're trying to learn something like do you get a teacher I'm like yeah well, if you're working out do you see that people get better results when they get a personal trainer I'm like yeah and they're like doesn't it make sense for you? Your most important part of your life or one really important part, your career. Wouldn't it make sense to have a coach for that? I was like, I guess so. Yeah, it does make sense. <laughs> no, but no one talks about it. Like, right. who, who so I was just like, you know what? Like, I, I've been researching for months now and I, can't, I don't know the answer. So, all right, I'll try it. Let's give it a shot. And then from there, her name is Sarah Glenn. Uh, so pitching her, plugging her right now. Her name's Sarah Glenn. Uh, she has a company called Completely Amazing. I owe a lot of my success now currently to her for sure. Cause she was able to get me back. And it was through her training. It's like consistent training that helped you too. Yeah. I don't know if training's the right word. It's kind of, to be honest, the way that I felt about it was like, she meets you where you're at. Right. Because mm-hmm. we are all in different parts of our lives and I was definitely in a different part. So she met me where I was at and she was like, okay, your resume and what you've done does not match the person that I, it's all virtual, right? Especially mm-hmm. COVID. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not matching the person that's talking to me on the screen. Like there's a mismatch here. So she meets you where you're at and then puts in strategies in order to help. So it's not like a one plan fits all. It's not like a 10 step program. And all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you're like crushing it and telling it again. It's like every person's a unique, every human's different. Every person's in a different part of their lives. So I think that's the beauty of it. And why I owe a lot to her is because she met me where I was at and then put in specific remedies, trainings, programs, Mm -hmm. plans. Like let's work on these three things this week and just these three things. Don't worry about the hundreds of other things that, you're thinking about or want to do just these right. three slowly over time. It's like that snowball just continues to build and build and build it every week. Wow. That's incredible. And she's you, great. And you still work with her. Absolutely. Okay. I don't think I'll ever stop working with her. Oh, okay. That's yeah, great. I mean, it's, it's coach, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like life changes, life twists, yes. turns. So it's like, I don't think I'll ever go back to not having a coach. Mm. And then how did you get into your career? So you're the director of capital markets, stack source. So how did you, get into that industry and how did that become something that you were passionate about? So real estate, right? So how did I yeah. get into real estate? When, when I was younger, uh, my father, my uncles, my aunt, they were really into the real estate kind of passive investing mm-hmm. game. So it was always kind of dinner table talk where they would talk about properties, buying something here. What was the cash flow of it? So something that as a child, it was kind of like, okay, what are these things that they're doing? Oh, you can make money when you're sleeping. That's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you do that? And as I started getting older, right, they introduced me to, to games like Monopoly was a big game that we played when I was younger. Like all my family always joke about it that like 
anytime there was a family gathering, we were playing Monopoly or some board game. Then once I started getting older and I was really interested in the real estate fundamentals, my uncle introduced me to Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that book, and the game board called Cashflow. Um, and once I started playing cash, I was like, wait, this is real life stuff that's going on here. Like this isn't, this isn't some make believe or like something that someone wrote, right? This is actual stuff that people are doing in their real life is crazy, but in a board game. And then from there, that kind of spark as a child, once I started working, uh, for me or choosing a career, right? After college, I went to UC Irvine, as you said, once I started to determine like where I wanted to go, uh, for me, I wanted to buy a home. And like, I saw my uncles do it. I want to buy a home. And when I talked to my dad about it, I'm like, hey, dad, can you help me buy a home? He's like, my dad's an immigrant, right, from the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So he goes, I did it on my own, so you can do it on your own. Go out there and figure it out. So when I was in college, tried to buy my first home. I went mm-hmm. to college in 2008 to 2010, so that was right in the middle of the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. And people just kind of laughed at me. That They would show me around homes because there was no, no one was doing anything, mm-hmm. right? So they were like, fine, we'll just we'll entertain this kid that has a part-time job at State Farm. And he's a full-time student at UC Irvine. Sure, we're and for me, it was like going through those reps, just like calling people, trying to set up meetings, trying to see homes. Like, okay, I maybe buy this. And then I'd ask the loan officer at the bank, like, my dad said there's something called like a no income, no assets. Can I still do that? Mm. And they're like, no way. You can't do that anymore. That's what got us into this mess. And I'm like, oh, okay, so what do I need? And they're like, well, you need a full-time job, first of all. I'm like, oh, okay, I don't have that. <laughs> I'm a student right now. So when that was a failure, it was more of like a dream deferred for me. So when I got into the working world post-college, I'm like, I want to go. And a theme for my life has always been, I want to work at a place where I'm not just there for a paycheck. I'm going there to learn something practical, something that I can do for myself. So I synced up with a boutique residential mortgage shop Mm. that specialized in the financing of homes, one to four unit family residences. And from there learned as much as I could from them. And then I became a loan officer there. I was helping mm-hmm. people purchase and finance their first homes. And then I was like, all right, in 2013, I'm like, I can do this. Like I'm doing it for other people now professionally. I can do this for myself. Like I'm comfortable. I'm confident now to be able to do this. So that's my first investment property was in 2013. And for me, I'm like, what's the next challenge now? Like, okay, mm-hmm. this was a mountain that I got to the top of. What's the next mountain? Right. And for me, that opportunity came, and I'm grateful that I've gone into USC's business school. So Mm -hmm. um, that was a huge dream of mine, being able to have that master's degree, the MBA, as well as the MRED, which is real estate development there. And post-graduation, I'm like the commercial side, like I'm walking around and I'm seeing hotels and I'm seeing apartments and I'm seeing offices and shopping centers. I have no idea how people buy this stuff. I have Mm -hmm. no idea how people build this stuff. I can find money and help people advise them on getting money for homes, mm-hmm. but all this other stuff, I have no clue. So, um, business school, the real estate school really helped me, um, learn the fundamentals there. And then the Trojan network, the famed Trojan network connected me, um, with certain key stakeholders that helped me get a job in that field. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started in the capital markets side, um, which is like raising debt equity. And that's just a fancy term for helping people find money. Okay. for commercial real estate projects. That's commercial real estate, the hotels, the apartments, mm. the offices that we talked about. So that's what I've been doing for the past five years. And uh, it's been awesome because for me, I can confidently say like, if anyone needs advice, if anyone needs knowledge, if anyone needs a connection to anyone on the commercial real estate side or even mm. the residential real estate side, when it comes to financing and when it comes to the money of it, mm. uh, I can help out anyone. So... That's what I've been doing for the past five years on the commercial side.
And it's great because you enjoy it so much too. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. Because it's always, it, there's something to learn. Uh, and even when it gets kind of like when you think you've learned it all, right? And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden COVID happens, and you're like, whoa, the market's changing and mm-hmm. shifting. Like what's going on? Like every single week there's a new webinar about mm-hmm. the state of the market and all of a sudden the market's different again. So that just keeps it very exciting knowing that you're in a dynamic market that changes every day. Well, do you still see a lot of people buying more hotels or more land for commercial real estate in COVID? That's a good question. No, it's actually gone down a lot. Uh, so investment sales across the board is down by a lot. It depends on which product type. So retail and hotels, it's, it's down by a lot, right? But overall, like on the national scale, investment sales are down. So it's kind of funny because you juxtapose that with the residential side yeah. where sales of homes and purchasing and buying, that's up like crazy. And there's a lot of reasons for both. And I mm-hmm. blog about those reasons. Okay. Uh, but yeah, bit, tale of two different stories, very drastic, two different stories. And that kind of goes into a, the, the, um, the knowledge that residential real estate and commercial real estate are two very, very different mm-hmm. uh, uh, beasts within the real estate industry. They're like day and night. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's also probably, is it because of the amount of money that's involved too? Because you probably need a lot more money for commercial real estate than as opposed to buying homes, would you say? Yeah, but I wouldn't say it's about the money. It's like the okay. fundamental difference between the two asset classes, mm-hmm. right? Homes are someone's, like it's personal private. It's someone's, they need to live there. It's like a need, right? You need to have somewhere to live. And the people that buy homes aren't necessarily investors. They're not viewing it. It, it, Some are viewing it as an investment, but for the most part, it's like, I need a place to live, right? Mm -hmm. And because it's a necessity, the government is very much regulated or has a very big hand to play in an issue because they want to protect people, right? Right. They don't want another 2008. Homelessness is a huge crisis. So it's like, you have to regulate it to make sure there's no funky business going on, right? Um, On the commercial side, yes, Mm -hmm. it is regulated, definitely, but these are investors, so it's like, no one's going to feel bad mm. at some rich person losing some money. It's right. like, okay, you're, you're still rich, dude. <laughs> yeah, you you're know? fine. Yeah, you're going to be fine. Like, yeah, okay, you lost some dollars here. It hurts mm-hmm. for sure. But you're not going to be kicked out and be living on the street. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's two fundamental differences in both of these asset classes. So can we talk about those um, different loans? Sure. Um, can you explain what people would need to qualify for a loan for residential mm-hmm. and what they would need um, to qualify for a question. loan for commercial? Just so... Yeah people know. Yeah, it's a good question. So to go into the qualifications, like it's, it's massive, right? So I'll go into the high level of it all. Um, on, a, on a home, a single family residence, mm-hmm. what they're looking for is you as the person, right? How do you qualify? Do you have the ability to pay this back? So the three things that the three levers that are very important on the residential side, if you're trying to buy a home, mm-hmm. uh, one is the loan to value ratio. So of your purchase price, how much are we actually lending you? The second is your debt to income ratio. So of all of your debts, right? Um, anything that would show up on a credit report. So student loans, car payments, um, any other homes that you may have, whatever debts show up on a credit report, right? On a monthly basis, divide that by your gross monthly income. That's your debt to income ratio. That output needs to be 45% or less. So they don't want you spending more than 45% of your gross income on a home, on your mortgage, right? So debt to income ratio is the second thing that's very important on the residential side. And the third thing that's super important is your credit score right? Are you a trustworthy borrower, right? If, if a bank gives you this money, are they going to get the money back? Because right. banks are very conservative. They don't want to give out investments and you don't have the ability to pay them. So those mm-hmm. are the three levers that are important. But okay. the focus of those three levers, one is the property itself, the loan to value. Mm-hmm. But the other two are very different. So 66% of the cap of the formula is mm-hmm. the person, 
right? Do they right. have the ability to pay and are they trustworthy? Mm-hmm. As we talked about earlier, the commercial side is investment. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit, di- not a little bit, it's a lot of it different in terms of how you qualify for it. Um, the entire sponsor, which mm-hmm. is the client, the person, is just one piece of the puzzle. The other two big pieces is the property itself. How is it performing or how is it going to perform? So there's a whole analysis that needs a whole investment analysis that goes into that, right? Mm. And then the last one is like the business plan, the overall business plan. How does it fit into um, what you're trying to do? Like, are you trying to build a hotel in the middle of nowhere where no one's going to come? Where it's like, well, you may be a really good client or a sponsor, a really good profile. Like you have the track record, you have the experience, you have the financial wherewithal, right? You have a massive net worth or massive balance sheet. So you might be perfect, Right then the asset class might be perfect. It's a multifamily mm-hmm. property and that's very hot right now. But then your business plan, if you're building it in the middle of nowhere, it's like, wait a minute, it doesn't make sense, right? Mm-hmm. So the entire investment thesis kind of has to come together, mm-hmm. right? And the last big difference is on the residential side, so going back to the three loans to value, debt to income and credit scores, there's really no negotiating on that side. Mm-hmm. All three have to work in order for mm-hmm. the deal to get done. If one of those three levers isn't up to par, mm-hmm. the bank's going to say, no, thank you. This loan's denied immediately. Mm-hmm. So all three have to stand on their own. On the commercial side, everything's negotiable. Big differences mm-hmm. between the two. So on the commercial side, since everything's negotiable, mm-hmm. in fact, one of those three levers that we talked about, the sponsor profile, the asset class, and the business line, if something is so strong, mm-hmm. it may mitigate the risk of the other two. And if it mitigates that risk, the lender on the other side might say, you know, we're actually still going to do this deal. I'll give you a case in point. Banks love depository relationships, mm-hmm. right? That's what they need. So if someone were to come to them and say, hey, I'm building, I'm building a property in the middle of nowhere and it's an apartment, right? Then the bank's like, wait a minute, middle of nowhere. Okay, it's an apartment, but why would we do this deal? Mm-hmm. If that person was going to tell us to them, like, we're going to deposit $10 million into your account, right? And there's right. no way, like, the risk, then they're like, wait, okay. We want this relationship. We're going to do this, right? Mm. And that's not all banks, mm-hmm. right? But that's just, that's an extreme case. I'm just trying to make an example here that one factor, and usually it's the sponsor profile. That person's very financially strong, has a strong mm-hmm. track record, mm-hmm. right? That can usually overcompensate for the other two factors and a deal still gets done. Wow. So everything's negotiable on the commercial side. And so then for residential, though, if so, then it's basically when people are trying to qualify to get a home, yes. they find out at that moment based on if they have all three of those things, if they will qualify for that home. Or Correct. Not. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah. on the commercial, on the residential side that you talked about, you can get what's called a pre-approval letter where these are all metrics and formulas at the end of the day. So the debt to income ratio is a formula. You at home can figure out this formula, right? What are all my monthly obligations divided by my gross monthly income? Mm-hmm. It's a formula. As long as it's below 45%, you're good to go. Is my credit score above 640, but really 720, right? But they can go lower, but it's just kind of, it scrutinizes you a little bit more. But if it's above 720, you're considered excellent. So if I, okay, I have a credit score above 720, excellent, mm-hmm. check the box. Because all these boxes need to be checked, right? Mm-hmm. Debt to income ratio, I did the formula, I'm below 45%, check the box. I'm purchasing a home for a million dollars and I only need 800,000 or 70,000. Okay, I'm below 80%. Check the box. I'm good to go. Right? So that's what these pre-approval letters are is, mm-hmm. you know, people need help running these formulas. Right. So you ask, call up your local bank or your loan officer, mm-hmm. talk to a person, they run the math for you and they say, oh, based off of these formulas, you would qualify for this loan. Mm-hmm. No problem because it's formulas, right? Mm-hmm. I don't mind writing you a letter that says you're pre-approved for this much. Happy hunting to go buy a home. That doesn't exist on the commercial side. 
pre-approvals don't exist because oh, everything needs to be reviewed in order to make a credit decision. Now, on top of that, it's mm. there are formulas, don't get me wrong, but unlike this side, the resident, I'm going to go this side, that side, residential mm -hmm. side, commercial side, unlike this side, the residential side where it's mm -hmm. formulas, right? You just need to make sure that you check the boxes. You're good right. to go. It's a little bit more boxy here on this side. The people that are actually making the decisions are human beings. There's like a credit committee, they call it. And that's why other factors can overcompensate because mm. these are six teams are biased today, but they're not, I mean, they're not bad. They're good people. Right? right. But they've been at the firm for like 15, 20 years. They know what they're looking for. But at the end of the day, it's humans making credit decisions on this side. But on this side, it's kind of like you're running it through a program, mm -hmm. an automated underwriter that's very mm -hmm. formula driven. So that's why on this side, you can write those pre-approval letters because you have with certainty, you know what's going to look like on the other end. On this side, on the commercial side, you can't write these pre-approval letters mm -hmm. because there might be something that gets figured out in due diligence mm -hmm. that these individuals that sit on credit committee, these human beings may mm -hmm. say, no, we're not going to do that. And they don't want to put themselves at risk of putting, excuse me, putting out uh, a letter that says you're definitely approved somebody and then not being able to perform on it, having mm -hmm. to uh, say no and deny that would make them look really bad. Oh, and, um, and for passive income, I want to talk a little bit about sure. that. Could you explain what that means? Because maybe not everybody knows yeah. what that means and then what you would define as a good passive income plan. Oh, wow. Yeah. So let's start with the, the first part defining it, right? I guess you could bifurcate it between active income and passive income, right? Mm -hmm. So active income is like your W-2 job. You're going into work each day. You're working for it. You put in the hours and you get a paycheck back, right? Um, or you're a self-employed, you're an independent contractor, but you are working for it, right? It is the, the amount that you get in terms of income is directly correlated to the amount of sweat equity, the amount of work you're putting in. That's active income. Passive income is when you are generating income and you're not putting in that sweat equity anymore after the initial investment, after the initial business plan, let's say, then once you put that business plan in place, then you're kind of rocking and rolling, you're going and the money's coming in. So on the real estate side, usually the traditional way that people think of passive income is I buy a home, a single family home. It has four bedrooms. Either I find a family or I find four people to lease it or so on and so forth. They come in, they buy it. My mortgage is X. Mm -hmm. The amount that they're paying me is Y. The spread between Y and X, the amount that they're paying me minus my mortgage, that, that there needs to be a delta there. That spread is my passive income, right? Of course, you can talk about taxes, you can talk about mm -hmm. expenses, but for the most part, most people, the gross net income is that spread between what your tenants are paying you minus your mortgage obligations and monthly expenses. That money coming in every single month, that spread being collected every single month is passive income. Now you scale that. That's the goal of passive income is you do it with one property, right? And you're making a good amount, but then you do it with another one, another one. You rinse and repeat, right? You buy, you renovate, you <laughs> lease it up, and then you refinance, right? And you mm -hmm. keep the homes. And you keep doing that over time. You get more tenants in, you get more properties in, then your passive income pie just keeps going up and up and up. And again, the initial business plan, the initial sweat equity mm -hmm. is you going out, finding these properties, buying them, doing the renovations and refinancing and finding the tenants, putting them in. Mm -hmm. But once you do that, right, then you hire a property manager to make sure that the monthly, if there's a plumbing issue or mm -hmm. the plumbing, the property manager takes care of that. So you don't have to worry too much about it. And as you scale more and more, again, once that initial 
finding the property, getting it done is done with, then you're just collecting the rent checks coming in. That's passive income. And a lot of people, that's traditional way of, mm -hmm. uh, of thinking. Of, and the, what a lot of people would do would make a ton of money off, off of it. It's like a real life monopoly. Very much, yeah. very much so. Yeah, and that's why Monopoly spoke to me when I was young. People actually do this? Wait, I'm just sitting here rolling the dice and waiting waiting for checks to come in? Right. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, like I, I can put two and two together. Okay, we're not actually rolling dice, but like a turn is like a day and each day that go, or month and each month that goes by, people that rent from me or land on my space and renting from me just keep paying me. Yeah, I want to do that. Yeah. I wanna do, yeah, I want to do that in my life. Yeah, this is great. This sounds good. How do I yeah. find out more? And with... Um... With passive income, what would you recommend for someone to maybe save up for? Like how many properties would be ideal for that, to yeah. the average person maybe? Yeah, that's going to be tough because it's really dependent on your market, right? And okay. I know that your viewers, like some of them may be in California. They might be in other parts of the country. So there is, that's going to, I mean, I would say hire someone or try to do the math on that. Because also like what is enough, right? Like. Mm -hmm. Someone that has an extravagant lifestyle is going to need way more passive income than someone that has a very simple lifestyle. So, yeah, one and one property could knock it out of the park because mm -hmm. if you buy one single-family residence, that's mm -hmm. very different from buying one hundred-unit apartment complex, where really those are like a hundred small units in there. So, to find the amount of properties that's optimal is going to be a very specific investment decision per person, mm -hmm. and that is something where an advisor can help you out with that. Because there is, there is an arc to it, right? Like a, mm -hmm. a mathematical equation, but you need inputs. And that input mm -hmm. is what is it that you want? Out of like what is, like, let's say it was you, if you're my mm -hmm. client, like what right. is your goal here? How mm -hmm. much, let's work backwards. How much money do you need per month to be happy, right? To just to not have to worry about it anymore. Mm -hmm. And then from there you start working into, okay, how much, if, if I know that you need X per month, right? Mm -hmm. In passive income, not having right. to work for it, then I can easily do the calculations on if you buy homes in all of this area, on mm -hmm. average, they spit out this much in cash flow. Then you just chop it up. How much do you need divided by the average that gives you how many properties you need to buy. Right? And if, so if it's a family, let's say that they already bought their single family home and they're buying another property for, it could be a rental property. Yes. What is your take on them turning that into an Airbnb or yeah. just renting so it out funny. to a family? Yeah, it's so funny you say that. I just had this conversation with um, some clients of mine that were curious about the Airbnb. Like, yeah. We're hearing that Airbnb yeah. are crushing it on the returns, right? And I'm like, that's totally true. But mm. remember, in almost all investments, and especially on the real estate side, there's no free lunch. Mm. You're working for those returns. Think of an Airbnb as your own personal hotel, right? It's an operating business. Like you need to be on it every single day to find out who's coming in, who's coming out, right? right. What reservation are you, you're using Airbnb. So mm -hmm. you need to be talking to them. You're, you're, mm -hmm. you're an all in one encompassing. You're an all in one hotel property, right? All the things that go into running in a hotel, that's you mm -hmm. at the end of the day doing that versus a single family residence where it's, Yes, you do the upfront work, but then once you get someone in, they're paying you every single month. You don't have to worry about, oh, this mm. weekend is light. I don't have anyone. This weekend, I do have someone. This is a busy season. Mm. This is a low season. Right. You don't have to worry about that because you have annual, typically you would have annual leases. Mm -hmm. So once you do the upfront sweat equity work, then it's kind of set in and forget it. You're good to go. Hopefully there's no issues that come up along the way. Right. But with Airbnb mm -hmm. stuff, there are issues that come up along the way. What if someone trashes your place? What if someone doesn't leave? What if some, you know what I mean? So there's a yeah. lot of different things that go mm -hmm. into it. It's, it's much more operational intensive, but if you're willing mm -hmm. to sweat that out, if you're willing to mm -hmm. do that, then that's why people can crush it. 
because that becomes your full-time job, mm. right? So again, there's no free lunch. I wouldn't say that, yeah, yeah, do Airbnb. It, more returns means mm-hmm. more risk. Right. That's it. And just doing your research, you know, to kind of be prepared if people were to go that route. Yeah, it's like, Airbnb. what's your comfortability level? Right. Exactly. Like, what's your what's your risk factor? Like, if you're working 50 hours a week, there's no way you can do Airbnb, right? Right. You can't do that. Uh, but if you're only working maybe 10 hours a week, then yeah, you can swing it mm-hmm. for sure. That's why these things are a very personal investment decision that every person is different and why mm-hmm. I'll just keep going, like helping, uh, asking your tribe, asking mentors mm-hmm. or seeking advice mm-hmm. from a third party advisor, that all kind of uh, comes together to make sure that you're making the best decision for you. And then with that, with, so let's say um, another example scenario, like if a family buys a single family home and this is their first property, yes. but they're trying to figure out how they could also make money. So they decide to rent out a room. Mm-hmm. Do you think that would be a good way for them to make money? And then they don't have to utilize Airbnb and they can still stay in their own home to rent out an extra room in their home. Yes, absolutely. But again, that comes with its own. Like, right. do you trust the person? Is it like a relative or mm-hmm. is it someone there's so many, if someone's willing to do that, a family's willing to do that, then absolutely. That's a great way to go in order to increase your monthly cash flow to get to your dreams faster. But it always comes with its pros and cons. And what real estate advice would you give to someone who's looking to get into the investment real estate? When you say the investment side, so commercial, commercial or residential? So on the commercial, commercial. side, um, the best advice that I could say is educate yourself. For sure. Um, I think that there's so much free content online these days um, that educating yourself, figuring out what's best for you, all the investment metrics, um, there's a lot of free tools online. And I would say that's the number one thing is educate yourself. But also mm-hmm. like maybe before that, I was like, why? Why do you want to get on this side? Mm-hmm. Because it's not, yes, the money is, is good for sure. And there's a lot of return there. But if you're getting it own, if you're only in it because of the money, Right. And it's, it's, that's a totally fine reason, but like what happens when it doesn't go smoothly, mm-hmm. right? Are you going to have, are you going to want to push through? We're going to hand over the keys, right? If you don't have that passion for like, if you don't have that passion, then when hard times come, and this is true for almost anything in life, right? When the hard times come and they will come, when the investment decisions don't work out the way that you thought they were going to, mm-hmm. when COVID strikes and now no one's buying commercial real estate properties mm-hmm. when all these bad things happen and they will, and hopefully they don't, but if they do come, Right. Uh, why are you getting into this? And if it transcends money, if you actually have a passion for it and, you're, and like you're really interested in it, like the money is like the secondary, it's like the mm-hmm. gravy on top, right? But you just have a passion for it, you love it, and you have whatever your reason is for getting into it, then that'll help you push through when the hard times come in and help you figure out like how do I traverse mm-hmm. these uh, these hard times. And they could probably hire a career coach too. To probably have <laughs> yeah, yeah, they want to. Sure. <laughs> and, and they can also reach out to you for advice too. Absolutely, yeah. My name is very easy to, uh, to, it's very unique, right? Huber Bonglin. There's only one other person with that name in the whole of U.S. That's my father. So if you Google my name, if you just spell it correctly, uh, you will find a lot of stuff on me. And you'll find my contact information. You'll find my blog. Uh, you'll find my LinkedIn. That's probably the best place for your viewers mm-hmm. if they want to connect with me. I'm very active on LinkedIn because it's a professional network, right? So right. I try to post my blogs on there. I try to post anything that I read that I think is interesting. I try to annotate it and then give it to my spread it out to my community so that way everyone stays informed but linkedin makes it easy to like direct message whoever you're trying Mm -hmm. to get to so that'd be the best starting point for anyone that wants to get a hold of me or has additional questions and is there anything that i didn't ask you that you'd want to share with our listeners today 
Uh, I'll be coming out with a website soon where I aggregate all of this information because um, along with podcasts such as yours, along with the blogging, along with uh, things that I'm doing on the professional working side, right? I want to have one area where they all, where someone can go and educate themselves. Because for me, my passion is teaching. I want to be a teacher um, when I retire. Like for me, there's no retirement. I don't define retirement as, okay, I'm done working. I'm going mm-hmm. to go just sit on the suns. I need to be doing something. I'm not doing something, then I'm just going to go crazy. So for me, retirement would be like giving back, like teaching others what I've learned, teaching. I would love to teach like finance principles or life principles to like high school students mm-hmm. or or like eighth graders, right? Or, or early college students, right? Because there's just a lot of things they don't teach in school. Like why don't yes. they teach accounting in high school? Right. Why don't they teach credit? Why mm-hmm. don't they teach personal finance? I would love to just be like an extra class if someone wanted to take it. Yes. Uh, but in the meantime, right? Before I do all that, that anything that I'm learning today, anything that I'm putting together now, uh, I'm building a website um, called Credible, and it, the CRE will be commercial real estate, then Credible, right? So it's kind of a play on words. Uh, but that uh, will aggregate all of the information. If anyone just wanted one area of knowledge base for commercial mm-hmm. side, uh, then they can go to that. Oh, that's great that you're doing that. Yeah, so, I mean, for yeah. me, it feeds into my passion of like, I like teaching and doing it person by person is not scalable, but doing it here with podcasts or doing it virtually, like I can scale that and reach as many people as possible. So make sure, um, like Huber said, you can get his, all his information, but message him through LinkedIn. So yeah. that way you can get more education. You can ask him as many questions as you want yeah. and he'll help you. But thank you so much, Huber, for being here today and educating all of us. Yeah, you're welcome. Happy to. And, and thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me on the Design Your Happiness podcast. I appreciate you for listening and I hope you feel inspired. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your loved ones. I hope you have a beautiful day and get excited to design your happiness.